Okay, Boomer. Okay, kid. And I'm a real Boomer. I'm Robert Rickman. On today's OK Boomer, we'll have part two of a talk with a nurse who is suffering from Alzheimer's. I'm still um, fighting, and to find people like me has been tricky. That's Kathy Turner, who is looking to meet up with other patients who are in the early stages of Alzheimer's. Now, we have heard numerous accounts about what COVID-19 has done to the economy. But what about what it's done to senior citizen centers? We lost so many people in so many different ways. Maybe not death, but they placed grandma somewhere else. We had to close our little adult daycare because when we did finally come back, there was nothing to come back to. That's Patrick Laws, who directs the Carbondale, Illinois Senior Center. We'll talk with Patrick about how his senior center is recovering. And now about fraud. How patients and insurance companies have defrauded Medicare, how Social Security has been defrauded by recipients, and this is particularly shocking, how an FBI agent who was investigating scams was scammed himself. And he was, he was a smart guy. He just got caught up in the whole idea of what was happening. And unfortunately, he let the idea of greed take control of his decision-making. That's Brett Hood, a retired FBI agent, talking about one of his colleagues in the FBI who was scammed. We'll hear about that in a few minutes. And we'll also hear trivia brain teasers with Bob and Marcia Smith and the governor of New York, Nelson Rockefeller. Uh, he'll be heard participating in an unbelievable news conference from 60 years ago. Then there's Roger Ramjet. He plays a song about poetry in motion. The news is next. Social isolation is a substantial risk factor for dementia in non-institutionalized older adults and identify technology as an effective way to intervene. This according to researchers from John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. Though the studies do not establish a direct cause and effect between dementia and social isolation, they strengthen observations that such isolation increases the risk of dementia and suggest that relatively simple efforts to increase social support of older adults, such as texting and use of email, may reduce the risk. In the United States, an estimated one in four people over age 65 experience social isolation, this according to the National Institute on Aging. By the end of this nine-year study, 21% of the total sample of participants had developed dementia. The researchers concluded that risk of developing dementia over nine years was 27% higher among socially isolated older adults compared with older adults who were not socially isolated. That means with family and friends frequently as opposed to occasionally. According to Allison Hang, Ph.D. at John Hopkins, one possible explanation is that having fewer opportunities to socialize with others decreases cognitive engagement as well as potentially contributing to increased risk of dementia. Interventions to reduce the risk are possible according to the results of the second study. Researchers found the use of communications technologies such as telephone and email lowered the risk for social isolation. And now on to our fraud series. The Justice Department announced the indictment of 23 Michigan residents for their alleged involvement in two schemes to defraud Medicare of more than $61.5 million through kickbacks, bribes, and charging for services that were never rendered. In an unsealed document, prosecutors said home health agency owners Walid Yamil, 62, and Yalal Yamil, 69, both of Oakland County, created straw ownerships to submit about $50 million in fraudulent home health care claims to Medicare. Prosecutors said the patients did not need home health care, did not qualify for it under Medicare rules, nor received care. The Justice Department said it believes that Walid and Yalal Yamil illegally received more than $43 million from Medicare. U.S. Attorney Dawn Eisen called the ruse an astonishing abuse of the U.S. health care system. She said the suspects did not care about the patients or health care, but they cared about lining their pockets with cash. Other suspects worked for the Jamils, 
who made illegal payments to patient recruiters and submitted false claims to Medicare. Some even posed as straw owners of one of Yamil's home health agencies. And from patients defrauding Medicare to insurance companies defrauding Medicare. A report from the New York Times on Medicare Advantage says that most of the large insurers in the program have been accused of fraud. Insurers are accused of making patients appear sicker than they actually were to boast pay by looking for old illnesses in medical records and paying bonuses to doctors to add illnesses to patients they hadn't seen in weeks. Medicare Advantage is a private sector alternative to traditional Medicare, and more than half of Medicare patients will be in the program by next year. According to the Times report, eight of the ten largest Medicare Advantage insurers have submitted inflated bills. Four of the five largest players, United Healthcare, Humana, Elevance, and Kaiser, face federal lawsuits alleging the efforts to overdiagnose their patients cross the line into fraud. The fifth company, Aetna, told investors the practices were also being investigated by the Department of Justice. AHIP, the industry trade group for the insurance companies, said the accusations reflect missing documentation rather than fraud, and the Times reported that insurers dispute the federal allegations and were aiming to improve care by documenting more conditions to accurately reflect a patient's health. The Times report also pointed out that Medicare Advantage plans typically earn twice as much gross profit than other types of insurance. According to the Times, the most common allegation is that the insurers did not correct potentially invalid diagnoses after becoming aware of them. At Anthem, for example, the Justice Department said thousands of inaccurate diagnoses were not deleted. According to the Times, the most common allegation is that the insurers did not correct potentially invalid diagnoses after becoming aware of them. At Anthem, for example, the Justice Department said thousands of inaccurate diagnoses were not deleted. According to the lawsuit, a finance executive calculated that eliminating the inaccurate diagnoses would reduce the company's 2017 earnings from reviewing medical charts by $86 million, or 72%. The company said the government is holding it to standards not grounded in statutory and regulatory rules. And now we turn to social security scams. A U.S. government watchdog has issued a deeply disturbing fraud alert over the widespread use of quote-unquote questionable social security numbers to get pandemic loans. The Pandemic Response Accountability Committee found that 69,323 potentially fraudulent Social Security numbers were used to obtain $5.4 billion from the Paycheck Protection Program and the COVID-19 Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program. The shocking revelation dropped just days before a hearing by the Republican-led House of Representatives Oversight Committee on fraudulent pandemic spending was about to begin. According to Senators Rand Paul and Joni Ernst, what PRAC has discovered is deeply disturbing. They added the extent of the fraud could be even greater, far greater. Next, our AARP Minute, which includes a story about, you guessed it, scams. Black and Hispanic adults on dialysis are at greater risk of getting a staph infection in their bloodstream than their white peers, according to new data from the CDC. The infection spreads through access points caused by needles and catheters healthcare providers use for treatment. Lower risk alternatives, such as fistulas or grafts that don't go straight into the bloodstream, can help reduce these infections. More than half the people receiving dialysis in the U.S. belong to a racial or ethnic minority, according to the CDC. Some social media quizzes may seem like harmless fun, but they're used by wrongdoers to harvest your private information. Prompts about your childhood pet, hobbies, or your first car could be answers to security questions meant to protect your private information. Even if there is nothing malicious about an online quiz, the data you provide could be part of a data breach if it's not secured. Never share information online that you would not want to be made public. That's your AARP Minute. So, anybody can get scammed. Anybody. Even an FBI agent whose job it is to investigate scams. 
Okay, Boomer met with retired FBI agent Brett Hood, who spoke before lunch recently at the West Frankfurt Wit and Wisdom Senior Center. During your talk, you discussed an FBI agent who was defrauded. How in the world did that happen? It just shows that as human beings, we all can succumb to people that are slick, people that offer things that we want to hear. And he was, he was a smart guy. He just got caught up in the whole idea of what was happening. And unfortunately, he let the idea of greed take control of his decision making. He didn't want to miss out on all these profits just in case it was real. Now, eventually we proved it wasn't real and he was really um, didn't like the original decision he made. But he, uh, he fell victim just like everybody else does. FBI agents are humans. What was the scale? The scale, he lost about three quarters of a million dollars. Wow. Three quarters of a million dollars? Was this an investment scam? It was an investment scam. He got caught up in the promotional materials where there were charts, there were graphs, there were people that showed that if you put in this much money, then it had grown exponentially to these larger amounts. And he got addicted to that idea um, he got his money from his father, who owned his own business, and when he died, he left a portion to his son. And so, when he saw this opportunity to grow it exponentially, and he heard about this trading program, he fell for it, just like everybody else did, believing that it was legitimate and it was going to provide just these returns that he couldn't get in other funds. So, if an FBI agent, and I'm sure he was aware himself and maybe worked on fraud cases, correct? Yes. If somebody who worked on fraud cases, who is educated like an FBI agent is, can fall for a scam, then I would think anybody could. Absolutely. And once again, we are human. We are all fallible. And we tend to look at things in the way that we want to see them. So who doesn't want to see their investment capital rising? No one wants to see losses. If you put a million dollars in, you put a thousand dollars in, you don't want to see it go down. You want to see it go up. And so when you see these visuals of a chart that shows your original investment going up significantly, that just feeds into what you want to see. It's called confirmation bias. We see the things that we want to see. You see the things that you want to see. Now, confirmation bias, how do you fight against confirmation bias? Lord Molson, old British politician, he defined confirmation bias the best I've ever seen. He said, confirmation bias is I'm only interested in hearing and seeing the things that confirm my original opinion. How do you stop that? How do you contradict that? How do you put some sort of barrier between your confirmation bias and losing your money? I teach classes on this, and one of the things that we cover is that we have to generate different perspectives. And so... If you get someone, someone you trust, someone who's willing to tell you the things that you don't necessarily want to hear, or someone who comes from a different background, a different culture, maybe sees the problem a different way, then it expands your perspectives. So instead of just taking one strict look at what is happening, you might see it in two to three different ways. If you do that, then you have the chance to overcome bias because now, instead of seeing just what you want to see, you're looking at it from other perspectives and say, oh, I hadn't thought about that. And when you process these things together, you most of the time end up making a better decision. When you were speaking today at West Frankfurt at the Senior Citizen Center, you mentioned the advantages of having friends who might give you a different perspective. Yeah, the thing is, when we get our friends, we tend to choose them because they're a lot like us. Mm. President Kennedy has a great example of overcoming this. After the Bay of Pigs invasion fiasco, President Kennedy went to his brother Robert, the Attorney General of the United States, and he told Robert this. He said, your job from this point forward is to find out what my decision is on something and then to argue the exact opposite position even if you don't agree with it. By doing so, he was making sure that he heard a counter perspective to his own and a different viewpoint. And what his intention was, by hearing these different perspectives, he hoped that it gave him a different way to look at problems and maybe, hopefully, pick the better option. That's a difficult thing to do. When I was putting together this program, I was asking various people opinions, and sometimes I thought, I don't want to follow those opinions. How do you 
actually listen and act when someone who you trust is giving you the opposite opinion of what you have. Got a great example for you. So I've written two leadership books. And my process was to write a chapter and then to have my wife be my first screening agent. And she was great. She, she, did, she went through all the chapters. She made correction. And the way she did it is I'd print out the chapter and then she'd take a red pen to the chapters. And oh my goodness, some of my chapters she absolutely bloodied. And it was just covered with red ink. And as I read it, I had a natural reaction. I started reading it. I'm like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. And then I followed the rule of Lincoln. Lincoln used to get nasty emails all the time. And he would just, he would immediately respond to these letters. I said emails, I meant letters. He would respond to the letters equally nasty. But the thing that Lincoln would do was he would put the letter response in his pocket. And he'd keep it there for 24 hours, and then he would reread it. So after she you know, did all the corrections and everything like that, I had that immediate reaction just like Lincoln did when he got a nasty letter. And I said, I'm going to follow the practice of Lincoln. And so I waited a period of time, not necessarily 24 hours, but I took some time away from it, and I came back. Lincoln usually chose not to send the letter. When I came back to look at her corrections, I was of a clearer mind. And nine times out of ten, she was absolutely correct. I just didn't like admitting that I was wrong or I had made a mistake. By taking the time and letting it pass and then coming back, my response wasn't as emotional as it was when I first received it. So if we can keep a little bit of time in between our decisions, then possibly we can remove the emotional component and look at it more objectively and find that some of these suggestions that people give us actually might be a better choice than what we originally thought. And that requires a, some degree of self-discipline. There's a concept called emotional intelligence. And one of the things about emotional intelligence is what they call self-regulation. It's important. Self-regulation is understanding that your emotions will affect your decisions. And so if we start to put time, space, distance between our emotional reaction and our decision, then it kind of lessens the burn of that anger when you get somebody who wants to correct something. So that's self-regulation is one of those ways that we can kind of control our decision-making by releasing those emotions or at least making them not as intense when we come to make our decisions. So if you get that email from your alleged bank saying that... Uh uh, you know, we've got $1,000 taken out. You'll have to put a, send $1,000 to us. What do you do? So most people, when they see that, they're going to be like, oh, my goodness. Says, I just I lost $1,000. I have to respond to this immediately. And they click on the little link in their text message, their email, whatever. That's exactly what the fraudster wants you to do. He wants that immediate reaction because he doesn't want you to think about it. When you click on that link you are going to a site that may look exactly like your bank site, but it's controlled by the fraudster. And then they'll ask you for information about your bank account, your PIN, and you're thinking that you're correcting a problem. But in reality, you're giving them all the information you need. What you should do in those moments, if you get that email, that text, whatever it is that says $1,000 has been deducted from your account, if this isn't true, contact us. Go to a computer, go chuck on your phone, Look up the website address for your bank and then find the phone number on there, find the email address on that legitimate website and then respond. Or even better, if you are at a place where you can access your bank account without fear of compromising it, then go into your bank account. Look at your credit card. See if you've actually been charged $1,000 as they claim. In most instances, you will never see that you were even charged $1,000. What the fraudster is doing is counting on you to react without thinking. By clicking on that link, they're going to ask you to give them all the information they need to access your credit cards, to access your bank account, and take all of your money. Brett Hood is a retired FBI agent who is an adjunct professor of fraud examinations, forensic accounting, and corporate governance and ethics professor at the University of Virginia. Brett is also a faculty member for the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners. He spent 25 years in the FBI and is now retired. We hope to have Brett on future programs. And now let's turn your thinking from fraud to trivia. 
Experts say the act of thinking and solving problems fights cognitive decline. Okay, Boomer now has its brain teaser, and here it is. Do you know of any city that has no street addresses or zip codes? Nope, I don't know either. And neither does Bob Smith, but his wife Marcia knows. Well, 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 the things you learn if you read. This is Bob Smith along with Marcia, my partner, and this is our trivia segment for OK Boomer. What major city, Bob, has no street addresses or zip codes? What major city has no street addresses or zip codes? Uh-huh. Is it in the United States? No. Okay, uh, I'm going to guess what part of the world first, okay? I'm going to say, is it in Europe? Is it the Vatican? No, it's not Europe either. Oh, okay, where is it? Dubai. Oh, here we go, <laughs> you and Dubai. Yes, well, I had a rather large rabbit hole on Dubai. <laughs> where Across the world, Dubai is the most growing city in most respects. This fast growth rate resulted in the government choosing not to have street addresses and zip codes. Really? Now, why that follows... It doesn't make any sense. You think it'd be just the opposite. Yes. Instead, the people of Dubai primarily use landmarks, maps drawn by hand, or verbal illustrations for directions. To me, that sounds like a wow. big waste of time. That's backwards. On the other hand, it might sound challenging to move around without street addresses if you are a visitor. But with time, you get used to the system. So they're not going to change. So you better. <laughs> Apparently not. Addresses are provided only to a very few companies under very specific situations. Dear Lord. Yeah. Isn't that, how do you, but how do you send a... Well, for a fast-growing area, you'd yeah, think you'd want some type of metrics. It's, it's ancient thinking. It's Wow. Crazy. Okay, what continent is home to the longest glacier in the world? It's both the longest glacier and the fastest moving one. Well, it's uh, Antarctic. Okay, you're right. But it's. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. It was discovered in the Australian Antarctic Territory, Lambert Glacier. It flows from central Antarctica toward the Amory Ice Shelf on the eastern side of the continent, 250 miles long. Time for word origin. Uh-oh. <laughs> you always like those. Why do we call money saved up for a rainy day a nest egg? Oh, why do we call it a nest egg? It's a good answer. Uh, well, a nest is, the future's coming from, a, from eggs, right? So why do we call a savings a nest egg? I don't know. Why? The term actually comes from the 17th century when poultry farmers would try to trick their hens into increasing their egg output. Farmers would place a false egg, both real or fake, in the hen's nest to get her mojo going. Okay. Okay. And this would generally result in her delivering more eggs than usual, meaning more money for the farmer, which he then credits to his nest egg. Oh, no <laughs> kidding. So it was like a uh, almost a decoy, only in re yeah. reverse. All the money he makes from that, well, that's from my nest egg. Isn't that funny? Yes, it is. I had no idea. Okay, a couple of more glacier questions for you here. <laughs> you know, we hear about glaciers going away. What's one of the few glaciers that's still growing, and where would it be? Well, is that down under there? Down under, but not down under down there. <laughs> okay, tell okay, me. Okay, it's in South America. It is. The Pertito Moreno Glacier uh -huh. covers 121 square miles. It's still growing, one of the Earth's few glaciers to do so. It's part of an ice field in Argentina and Chile. Makes up the world's third largest reserve of fresh water. I didn't know that the glaciers were still growing, which is oh, good. that's good. Good, yeah. Let's hope that stays up for a while. And in our country, how many glaciers are still in Alaska? This is all brand new information. This isn't old stuff I dug out of a sleepy encyclopedia. This comes from the National Park Service. How okay. many glaciers are still in Alaska? Well, they count them? Uh, I, well, 142. Nope. Glacier Bay National Park in southern Alaska, near the capital city of Juneau, it's home to a whopping 1,045 oh. glaciers. Wow. 1,045. Among its most famous is Marjorie, a tidewater glacier that extends for 21 miles from the Fairweather mountain range. So uh, it's an estimated that the glacier moves about six feet a day, breaking into icebergs. Yeah. But there are still 1,045 glaciers in Alaska. Bob, get up and go count glaciers today. Then. Oh, and <laughs> one missing from yesterday. So, <laughs> Got yeah, it. kind of interesting, though. Okay, Bob. 
Where do you get paid in gold to lose weight? Gold's Gym. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> That's the name of it, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You get paid in gold uh -huh. to lose weight? Uh -huh. Is this a club or an institution or no, a country? it's a place. Well, is it a country? No. Oh, well, who, who, who's giving you the money? The city. The city. Mm -hmm. Some city gives you gold to lose weight. Let's go there. <laughs> Where is this? Well, now think about it. What's my city du jour? Oh, no, not uh, Dubai again. Yes, oh, right. dear. <laughs> That's it, my last. That must be third. just, we should just have, did you knows about Dubai today? That's, well, three questions. Gosh. But in Dubai, you have to admit that's pretty, uh, what you learned about Dubai today is pretty amazing. Yeah. You are paid two grams of gold for every kilogram, which is a little over two pounds, you lose in weight. Wow. That's, uh, the government has structured the program to allow only two children per family to be involved in the program. And the city spends about 700000 a year on gold to pay locals to keep uh, attractive. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and just for perspective on this city, there are some strict laws in Dubai. In Dubai, kissing, dancing, or being intoxicated in public spaces is illegal, and you can wind up in jail. So no kissing, no dancing. But you, know. you can be paid in gold you to lose some lose weight. weight. Yeah, so what's the point of losing weight if you can't Kiss, Kiss and, and dance. dance. I don't know. I How, know. It just defies common sense to Good me. question, Marsh. <laughs> I don't know. All right. I got a question. Uh, this relates to the fact that sometimes people just don't recognize talent. Okay? Okay. What famous writer was fired from the San Francisco Examiner early in his career? The paper's editor telling him, this isn't a kindergarten for amateur writers. Who was the, quote, amateur writer, unquote? It wasn't Samuel Clemens. No, he was in uh, Montana and other parts of the West. But Mar that's not who this person was. This is San Francisco. Yeah, Let's I'm not thinking. get distracted, Marcia. <laughs> who was this writer? Fired was from it the Chandler? No, not Raymond Chandler, no. I don't know. Rudyard Kipling, Aww. the author of The Jungle Book, among other great works. He was a reporter for the San Francisco Examiner. He was fired by the editor who said, I'm sorry, Mr. Kipling, you just don't know how to use the English language. Isn't that funny? This isn't a kindergarten for amateur writers. Oh, wow. He'd already written one of the best short stories in the history of literature, The Man Who Would Be King. And still, this well, editor just didn't get well, it. Well, many editors can be idiots. I can, I can vouch <laughs> from for your, that. From your experience yeah. as a journalist? Yes. That's funny. Yes. Well, okay. that's sad, but he went on to greater things. Yes, he did. That's it for today. This is Bob and Marcia Smith from The Off-Ramp. Back to Robert P. Rickman and OK Boomer. Yeah, Bob and Marcia Smith, I had the same problem. I worked at a news radio station in California with a... Grammar hounds. Well, you should put a comma there. You should put a but. I just used dots and I spelled everything in capital letters and double spaced it. And it was fine to go on the air, but he did not like it. Anyway, let's get up. Oh, we're overdue for a cup of coffee and as we go for our walk. I love the coffee and I love visiting the WDBX Chamber of Commerce and Visitor Center because we're going to be listening to two gentlemen. Raj and Bob, and they're going to be singing about Carbondale, but they didn't name it the Carbondale song. They named it Air, Hicks, and Ticks. Raj and Bob from their album Calling and Well. to Carbondale, then you're close to something you might want to see. Listen close and you might hear a tale of a place where maybe you might want to be. It doesn't snow much in the winter time, and in the spring and fall the weather's mainly fair. Come and visit in the summertime, and have you heard about the air? Have you heard about the air that comes in from the Gulf? Forget about a perm straight hair is good enough Don't ever understate To say it's humid isn't fair Have you heard about the air? Did you meet the local populace? They tell you howdy and they try to make you smile From Vienna to Metropolis They're kind of proud of how they go the extra mile To make the place a better place to be 
But if you move here, then you'll have to learn the tricks. You gotta smile and wave to everyone. Howdy! And have you heard about the Hicks? Have you heard about the Hicks? Driving in their trucks, hounding out the quail and shooting at the ducks, subsidizing beer and pissing in the cricks. Have you heard about the Hicks? scenery, the university and a half dozen man-made lakes with miles and miles and miles of greenery, bird diversity and not too many snakes, there are several local wineries, but you better never try to visit six if you're touring in an afternoon, and have you heard about the ticks, have you heard about the ticks, crawling in your hair, sucking out your blood from in your underwear. They give you Lyme disease and they put you in a fix Have you heard about the ticks and have you heard about the hicks? Driving in their trucks, hounding out the quail and shooting at the ducks Subsidizing beer and pissing in the cricks Have you heard about the hicks and have you heard about the air? It comes in from the gulf, forget about a perm Straight hair is good enough, don't ever understate To say it's human isn't fair Have you heard about the air? Have you heard about the hicks? Have you heard about the ticks? Hey, hey, everybody. It's the White Raven from the Hot, Hot, Hot Louisiana Gumbo Pot right here on WDBX, Sundays, 12 to 2. Join me and all the Gumbo Pot heads where I'll be bringing you all the best music from Louisiana, New Orleans, the Bayou with a little bit of Delta Blues thrown in for good measure. So all you swamp rats, grab your Zydeco shoes, meet me in the Gumbo Pot at high noon. We always pass a good time, Chef. Peace, love, and Zydeco. Aye! This just into Boomer Central. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer will broadcast to Southern Illinois and the world at 9 o'clock Friday mornings. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. Okay. <laughs> okay, Boomer. Okay, Boomer. I'm WDBX. Poetry in Motion is Johnny Tillotson's first big hit. It went to number two on the Hot 100 and number 27 on the R&B chart. It did reach number one in the UK. He released many more songs after that, but none charted higher. This song was written by Paul Kaufman and Mike Anthony. They worked across from a high school and would often take a break around the time school was letting out. Watching the girls pass by on the sidewalk gave them the inspiration for the song. People you would know on the recording include Boots Randolph on sax and Floyd Kramer on the piano. Both would have hits of their own a few years later. Here's Johnny Tillotson and Poetry in Motion. When I see my baby Out of the past 1960, Johnny Tillotson and Poetry in Motion courtesy of the jet. Now let's talk with Patrick Laws, who runs the Carbondale, Illinois Senior Center. Now in the old days, the population of this town of Carbondale, Illinois, used to double when Southern Illinois University was in session. Now the city's population as of 2020 was about 25,000, with another 11,000 college students added to the mix. So Carbondale is a university town with all the amenities you would expect. So I asked Patrick. We were talking about bingo. Now, the West Frankfurt um, Senior Center has bingo size, and I attended that. I saw that. And I had problems with the bingo <laughs> because of my brain fog. I yelled, bingo! <clears throat> and somebody came over, no, that's not bingo. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, they do bingo size, which mm -hmm. is they play bingo, but between rounds, 
They do some exercises, right. basically exercise. Have you considered any physical fitness addition to your senior center? Not lately. We used to have an exercise class that met in the dining room every day before COVID where they were using the, well, they were like a band type thing and a video that went with it. We had several and it started trickling off. Our big exercise fitness is the line dancers coming in every week. If that's not a workout there, I'm telling you, if you've never watched those, I mean, I've tried to go with them, but they're always zigging when I'm zagging. <laughs> I know there's probably a way to coordinate it, but, I, you know, it started out with about eight or ten people. I think they've got about 36 people. That's every Tuesday for two hours, and it's a workout, you know. It really is, and they're constant. I mean, they take a little ten-minute break, but other than that, from 9 o'clock till about 10.30, they're out there. You know, they've got a leader, a teacher that goes through the steps with you, and we've got new... Um, you know, we've got novice and we've got ones that have been doing it forever. So they're always, that group continues to grow and always amazes me how many they pull in to the dining room. I mean, they're out of the way by lunchtime. They know that. Some stay for lunch and some just go on about their business. But so many of ours stay fit. I know we've got a lot of people that are enrolled in that. I think they call it the golden sneakers and they meet and walk. It's through maybe AARP. And then we've got the gyms and SIU and a lot of folks go over to Johnny Logan. So we're fortunate to have a lot more things. So we've never really been big on getting anyone to stay here other than the line dancers because there are so other so many options around here other than go ahead. Well, um, yes, I uh, go to Planet Fitness and work out. I have a trainer there, and uh, I have been going to um, John A. Logan for swimming. That's great. Yeah, so I can understand that. That is very good, you know, and I'm not sure if SIU still has one since COVID. If they've reopened, too. We had some going over there swimming, too, and I don't know if that's reopened. But, you know, a lot of the folks here, they come in on a Friday, Thursday when the weather gets better. We've got a lot of golfers. So they're in and out for lunch, and then they're out there on the ready to go, you know, uh, tee up there. And so, no, we're, like I said, fortunate here because there's so many different things to choose. Some of them play pickleball, you know. I have not played pickleball. I'd never heard of that till about two years ago. But it looks like fun. It sort of looks like maybe badminton or tennis with a ball. I'm not really sure. But uh, anyway, so we haven't really um, – succeeded in really having any physical fitness program here, but I, I don't really foresee it. We don't have enough staff, for one thing, that that would oversee anything like that, you know. We used to have about 22 people here, and, and now we have about 11 doing what 22 used to do. And I'm not really sure what that is. Um, we've lost a lot of our volunteers over the years just because they're getting older. We used to deliver the meals on wheels to folks to make them stay in their home longer. You know, that was one thing to keep them out of going into the nursing home. And still, this social program, coming in and eating every day, is so important. While we were closed for COVID, we lost so many people in so many different ways. Maybe not death, but they placed grandma somewhere else. We had to close our little adult daycare because when we did finally come back, there was nothing to come back to for, there wasn't any clients because... You know, in the meantime, they had that year they had to make decisions where to put somebody or to get in-home help at home. So, you know, those those plans got altered and their whole uh, way of life turned. With, and you know how it did. You just all, there were so many different angles to COVID, not just the physical sickness, the mental, everything. Might change my whole world, too. Because, you know, we're used to seeing 100, 120 people every day in here. And all we were doing was going and giving out a lunch once a week, one hot meal. For, it was, they were driving through the parking lot, picking up a lunch once a week. We were still doing meals on wheels, you know, but we were distant. No one was going in or visiting much or anything like that. So when we did reopen, it seems like it's just bounced back and then some and then it's just, you know... Somebody said, was there an explosion? Friday, was there an explosion of people here and I missed it? I said, I don't know what happened, but yeah, had a full house Friday, you know. So it's definitely uh, what I like about our program is we're federally state funded for the meals program. Now, we usually go way, way over on the money that they give us. Suggested donation is $3 for the meal, but uh, we get subsidized. That's subsidized. So once... We're probably halfway through our money already, but we're good through donors that come in and give us donors. Some people will pay more than, and say, well, maybe that'll pay for somebody else's lunches. So we had 
gotten emergency funds, but there's no means testing. So what I like about that is somebody, we always say we're here to help you, not to hurt you. If you don't have the money, don't worry about it. If you can afford to give us more, give us what you think it's worth. You know, there's a bucket right there. Nobody's taking the cash. You just drop your donation in the bucket there. So... I know a lot of places have raised theirs. I want to keep it at the $3 as long as we can while we can do that because it's a perk for everyone else too, you know. So that's just one of those things. But some people went up to $4 and stuff. We haven't done it yet. But I could maybe see it coming in the future, but I'm not even going to throw it out there to worry about it yet. Okay. Uh, I won't worry about it. <laughs> I can afford the $3. Yeah. Um, I talked to uh, Christy Bussler of the West Frankfurt Senior Center, and she was talking about funding. Mm -hmm. And she mentioned that it seemed like the seniors, the baby boomers, have increased more and more people coming, mm -hmm. but the funding has shrunk. Is that mm -hmm. the case with you? That is the case. We were fortunate during COVID to get extra funding, but the meals program, you know, you want to encourage everyone to come out because that's, I feel like we've the job we've been doing all these years was to try to get people to want to come here, to want to get together with your friends and come in to your local community senior center and take advantage of, you know, the different things we do have to offer. But yeah, the money always runs out before, before we do that. The meals are always more. It's that, you know, we keep we get more funds and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, they're not going to get any more of those. They called these, uh, American Rescue Recovery Act, ARC funds, I think is what they were called. And uh, those were fortunate during COVID because it was so hard to get things and they increased. They wanted everybody to get fed, nobody to starve at home. So we basically signed a bunch of people up for the Meals on Wheels because people were uncut. Well, we were closed, but that would give them a chance to still have a nutritious meal. So we kept those things going and, and we got extra funding, but what I understand that will be gone in June of this year. So after that, we'll have to start thinking out of the box again. I don't want to limit back in the day when I started, you had to have a reservation. I remember when we had 50 people here, that was a grand day. That was a big day, you know. Now it's like 100 almost every day, 90 to 100 every day. And uh, I mean, they're coming, so I hope that the funding keeps coming in because, uh, you know, I, I don't know what we'll do. We'll just have to face that when we get to it. But I mean, there are certain things we will do, but I don't want to do it because I want everybody to be able to take advantage of, of the program. Do you have any final thoughts? Final thoughts? <laughs> hmm. No, you know, I'm just hoping that one of these days that our, our younger volunteers, people can uh, step up a little bit and help do some of these meal routes because we do, I, I believe in all the services that we provide. I really do think it's a good thing and that's always where my heart's been. If it's gonna cost a little bit for us to get it to them, whatever we need to do to figure out how to get there, that's what we need to do. So like I said, just we're here to help you, not to hurt you. So if there's any questions, any remote things you need to know, give us a call and if we don't know, we'll check into it and find out what you need, okay? Okay, Boomer. All right, Boomer. Good okay. having you. <laughs> can, can you do me an okay, Boomer? Okay, Boomer. Patrick Laws, director of the Carbondale, Illinois Senior Citizen Center. Close to Carbondale is a little town near Crab Orchard Lake called Carterville. Nurse Kathy Turner has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. It's still in the early stages, so she can drive even at night when the trip is local. I talked with her in Carterville at a place called Memory Cafe. All right, you're attending the Memory Cafe in Carterville, and that is for people who are suffering dementia. What do you do at the Memory Cafe? Um, the Memory Cafe was started by um, Egyptian Area Agency on Aging. Aging. And Carterville has, I don't know the date, but they are a dementia-friendly community now. Yay, Carterville. But um, part of being dementia-friendly is they, they needed a support group of some sort. Um, support groups for um, dementia and Alzheimer's are hard to come by when, when you're not a, a caregiver needing support or a, a, a later stage. I'm early stage. I'm, I'm, 
I'm still um, fighting and to find people like me has been tricky. Mm -hmm. But I, I've found people and um, I'm, I'm in a group with, with uh, judges and attorneys and they sound just like me. Um, it's, it's, if, if one thing would be taken from this podcast, if you are, um, struggling with something neurological and you get some sort of a ugly diagnosis like Alzheimer's, um, there are people that are still 75% of their former self that are looking for a support group too. It, you just have to find it. And when you get around those people, you, you realize that um, this isn't a, a um, seven to 10 year life expectancy. You know, I, I know people that are 18 years in it and running meetings and uh, it's, it's, there's a lot that's not talked about when you get the diagnosis of Alzheimer's. There's a lot of people that, um, whatever the reason, don't decline as rapidly as what makes the, the articles. Mm -hmm. Now, how did you get to your Alzheimer's meeting? You live in West Frankfurt, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, you live in West Frankfurt, and the Alzheimer's meeting was in Carterville. How did mm -hmm. you get there? Well, I've got a pilot's license, and I fly. Well, I have a pilot's license, too. <laughs> I haven't been flying lately, but I didn't hear any airplanes flying overhead or see any in the parking lot in Carterville. So there must we did you parachute in? Uh, yeah. Um, I still drive. Um, I, I don't drive at night. I, um, with Alzheimer's, or with Alzheimer's, it's still Alzheimer's in my brain, but it's, it's technically, who the heck knows. But, um, you don't know when the curtain's going to fall. You don't know when you're not going to realize where you're at. You don't know... Um, uh, you don't know when it's going to strike. It's sometimes if I'm if I didn't sleep well, or you know sometimes I can identify reasons that it's a worse day. But if I drive at night and I have one of those spells, I can't see landmarks. In the daytime, I can just stay on the road. I can wait until the curtain lifts, or I can pull into a parking lot. I'll call my hus husband, and he'll walk me through, you know, get on your phone, turn on your GPS. Um, because you, when the cloud's there, you don't have a phone, and you don't have a GPS. You know, you, you need someone, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's what I need to do. So that's why I don't drive at night. Well, it seems like, other than driving at night, for all practical intents and purposes, you're working around this. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm blessed. I'm, I'm, I'm not advancing. I don't feel I'm advancing. Um, cognitive testing will tell me when I have it, whenever it's scheduled. Um, every six months but um, you know good Lord willing all of it could go away um, one of the one of the issues with Alzheimer's is and I see this a lot with with my support groups um, executive functioning if you've not heard of that it's that's probably one of my it definitely was my hardest struggle when I was working. Well, are you talking about executive functioning, meaning your brain is overseeing all these actions? No, um, 
there's a, a group of, of skills that are impacted by Alzheimer's. Executive functioning includes um, uh, multitasking, mm -hmm. numbers. Um, if, if, if I could describe one piece of it, it's not called this, but if I could describe one piece, I would say ADHD. Uh, you know, um, you start something and um, the phone rings and when you get off the phone, you you don't remember that you had started something. You start something else, um, and then you know you get a glass of water. And when you get your glass of water, you're trying to figure out what you're going to do, and you start something else. Okay, I've been through that with the brain fog. Um, now I forgot what we were why we were talking about this. I don't know. Okay, well, we're, do you have any final thoughts? Um, find people. Feel free to reach out to me. You're not alone. Um, uh, it, it was, it was, a, it was a, a long time before I found somebody that I could talk to and not be sad. Now, when Kathy Turner was referring to a group with judges and attorneys, she meant Dementia Alliance International. She calls it an amazing, proactive group with the objective to increase awareness but also change laws that support those living with dementia. She says it was 100% organized and carried out exclusively by people diagnosed with dementia until the last six months or so. She calls it an amazing group. And that wraps up OK Boomer for today. I'd like to thank Kathy Turner, Patrick Laws, Brett Hood, Bob and Marcia Smith, and Roger Ramjet, and also Janice Paul, station manager of WDBX for this program. I'm Robert Rickman. Have a good day. <laughs>